This is CliffCentral.com. I'm Pumi Mashiko and the time is four minutes past ten. New time slot and you're listening to Womanza. Thank you for tuning in. But before, so that was like an awesome song. But before I go into the show, I think the one song that for me always epitomizes the conversation that I'm about to have is Macklemore. I'm going to start here before I take you into the deep, deep, deep conversation we're about to have. She keeps me warm. She keeps me warm. I think when the song came out, one of the things that for me in particular was so amazing about the song, besides the fact that it's got the melody, it's got this awesome woman, fierce voice, is the idea that the song is on about. We read about it and when Caitlyn Jenner, I think the moment Caitlyn Jenner on that Vanity Fair, for those of you that do watch the Kardashians, unfortunately, I missed that whole thing because I don't watch the Kardashians. So I missed that whole thing when Bruce Jenner was going through the transition. And suddenly there was this Caitlyn Jenner. And I I didn't know what was going on or who Caitlyn Jenner was because I'm a little bit too young to, and I missed the Bruce Jenner era. But it was so fascinating to watch. And when the first season came out of um, I Am Kate, episode one, episode two, by the time episode three came along, I was completely tired of it. I was over it and I couldn't watch it anymore. But it raised so many questions and so many conversations. And besides the fact that she almost broke the Internet, as they say, when she came out on, on the Vanity Fair, what she actually broke open is she broke open the silence. She broke open the feelings that a a lot of people have and that a lot of people weren't um, talking about, weren't saying anything about. And then I started thinking about South Africa. In South Africa, we have a huge LGBTI movement. We have a very loud and fun and identified movement, but we also have Lots of problems in that even with our most progressive constitution, even as everybody is free and allowed to be free and allowed to be themselves, we have the most backward people. We have backward people in that we see in newspapers around the country every day almost. We see stories of violation of people living their life. And two weeks ago, I actually saw an article about a young girl from Fosloras, from the the East Rand, who two years ago, my guest is here and looking fabulous. Hello. (laughs) I'm just setting the scene and having the conversation um, around South Africa and really being so in one hand, completely forward, completely amazing, amazing constitution. Everybody is equal in front of the law. And then having the most backward people in it, where we were unable to have honest conversations, even within our families, with each other about. And there's lots of stuff about that. But let me introduce you to my listeners. Tell me how I say your surname, Jabu. Pereira, hi. Pereira. Yeah. yeah I, I worried about that. If it is, was it one of those like paella and paella? <laughs> I'm just a Zulu girl, okay? Do, do not I got know. this in and I don't know where it comes from, but yeah. Jabu, thank you so much for making it. I know you're very busy and mm-hmm. jet-setting uh-huh. all over the world, changing lives. Thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I read your, um, I, I read, so I've been stalking you, right, on the internet. Mm-hmm. I've been all over your websites. I've then been checking all of the links and trying to find you. And then I read your profile yesterday. And I thought, how? Only 2012. This organization, so tell me about Iranti. I love the fact that the word means memory. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the organization Iranti. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, we basically, yeah, we started in 2012. Um, 
really, you know, sitting around uh, myself and Newo Msangi and thinking through um, how do we really increase um, kind of storytelling, reporting in relation to the lives of LGBTI people, um, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex persons um, within South Africa, but also within the continent. Um, and given just the kind of negative reporting that happens or the incorrect reporting that happens within mainstream media, we really felt that as people from this community that we needed to kind of create a media space, almost like a civic journalism space uh, where we own and claim our own narratives and our own stories. So, so you yeah. yourself identify yourself as a transgender activist. Right. Why activist? Why not just person living their lives fighting for a better society like I think everybody tries to do every day? Why activist? <laughs> um, I, I guess because it consumes my life in all ways that it does. Um, it's not something that, you know, I can do from eight to four or five and then lock it up in a cupboard and, um, you know, wherever I navigate my body and my space, there, it, there are always, um, potential issues of threat, of humiliation, of different things that happens within. So I think being an activist is about just embodying that within oneself completely. Um, and I think being an activist is about really a self-transformative process about how do we em- embody the values that we live. And it's not just a headspace or an intellectual space. It's an actual walk-the-talk living kind of space um, that is always there in terms of values and so forth. So I like to see myself as an activist, someone who's actively always thinking and being in the world um, and always questioning and trying to make a difference. And that is a 24-7 thing. So I, I love the words. You know, I love the words that mm-hmm. in the NGO, NPO space that, are, that you use, words like navigating my body. Because I think as a, as a woman living in South Africa, every day is a navigating my body experience. Every day is an experience of whether it is being marginalized because you are a black woman, whether it is being marginalized because you are a woman in a particular work environment, whether it is being marginalized or, or feeling threatened, which was one of the words that you used as well, in particular spaces and, and not being completely free and allowed to be in those spaces. I would love to know your experience of navigating your body. What, what that for you, because I would, I would not looking at you walking down the street. I would never think that this guy feels somewhat threatened or this guy feels the, you know, Mm -hmm. out of place or out of sync. Mm -hmm. So, Tell me about that experience for you. Okay, that's a really interesting perspective because, you know, being transgender um, and really transitioning in my life at a much older age, I mean, I'm now going to be 45 what? years old. <laughs> which is, yeah. So I think... Um, I'm looking at you proper. You must talk to me about that moisturizer. <laughs> Thank you. 45. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, flattery will get you everywhere. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when I, when I grew up, basically, um, I grew up, I was born really at the time of apartheid, firstly. And, and now I'm 45 and I live in a democracy. And so I guess that first navigational part of one's body is that very experience of, um, having memories of as as a child um, born in Port Elizabeth um, and going on school trips, for example, uh, to the Port Elizabeth Museum. And just across the museum is the beautiful beach of PE. And my very first memories of that is seeing these boards that said whites-only beaches and wanting to go to the bathroom and seeing that it's a whites-only bathroom. And I guess as somebody who's 10 years old um, – you know, and your bra- your body and your brain becomes conditioned 
that you're legally not okay to be somewhere, right? And so you as a child in this hot summer and in this stuffy bus cannot go and put your body in that water. And so I think, you know, growing up, you realize that you're already conditioned as a child to believe that your body is inferior because it's black, it's inappropriate, and it doesn't belong in that water. And so I think there's a lot of things growing up in this body, when I talk about navigation, is about that. It's about how do you go from being born in apartheid into a democracy, and then how do you celebrate that very same body that was conditionally oppressed during apartheid? The schools we had to go to, the trips we had to be on. You know, I remember the colored beach being like packed with blue bottles. I don't know if you know what blue bottles are, but that stuff really sting the hell out of you, right? (laughs) And so, you know, when you realize that this really piece of crappy beach is where your body is assigned to be as a child, and that other beach is not assigned for you. And I think, you know, there's, there's so many memories that one has about where one's body has been. And I think also um, having lived um, half of my life, at least most of my life now, just before my transition as female, yeah, there's a whole lot of issues about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate in terms of, um, you know, a whole range of issues around sexual harassment, around female masculinities and, and just female femininity and what is appropriate and what's not appropriate and just the kind of um, oppressive bodily issues that women have to suffer on a daily, regular basis in terms of public space. Um, we see that in terms of some countries who even regulate um, kids having longer school uniforms so that boys are not tempted. I, I have no idea how I'm that, still angry about that. How, <laughs> the day's coming when I have that rant. But <laughs> you know, but also now having to navigate my transition um, and, and thinking about male identity and transgender male identity, not, you know, not cisgender male um, identity. Um, but as transgender male identity and, and, and having been in this transition process for at least two years, you really, really begin to see just how much male privilege exists in society. And, right. um, <laughs> thank and, you for saying that. You get a high five for that one. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, are you it's, enjoying the privileges? Jabu, are you enjoying the privileges? I, I, there, there are things that I am enjoying. For example, <laughs> I will give you some examples like um, the ability to, when I visit my family, I can walk down on the coastline at 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. And nobody would mess with me. In, in fact, if people see me sometimes, they fear me um, just from representation or so, which I don't understand either. But I think that... Yeah, because everybody's afraid of colored guys. <laughs> yeah, we're gangsters, <laughs> Especially right? Especially in PE. <laughs> right, so there's all these kind of stereotypes. And I think, you know, if I, in my transition, dress in those particular stereotypes, there are some factors that you realize, oh my gosh, I can navigate public space in the way that I've never, ever experienced in my 42 years of existence. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when you go to a restaurant, your treatment is so much more different. Um, you know, um, and, and when I'm with my female friends, like they really almost don't exist in terms of service. And these kind of things are, are things that one and has everybody to brings the check to you. I know, right? And that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's unbelievable that, um, that there is so much privilege around men and, and I think that for me is a major challenge. Um, being raised and being very super conscious as a feminist, how one has to break down patriarchy in so many different ways and just how that struggle is so, so real, um, on so many mm-hmm. different levels. And of course, within our work environment, um, and the work we do, we see that, you know, in terms of just, the kind of physical violent attacks mm. on female bodies and, mm. and what, what that is about in terms of various forms of hatred, etc. Um, Jabu, yeah. is it, was it 
easy for you to own some of that privilege that comes with the male body. You you say by the time you were 42, so there were lots of levels of discomfort Mm. for all those many years. But transitioning from a black male who was to be unseen, black female to be unseen, to be over there, and then transitioning to becoming the ultimate, because now you are a black male, you know, you're the ultimate in free South Africa. Was it easy? Was it a, a great place to step into? Was it freeing for you to like throw away the burden of being just the just another little girl? No, absolutely. I think it's it's something that I there's so many things I don't want to throw away, which is Really? Absolutely. I think there's so many things around um understanding why feminism is important. Um, understanding why the assertion of agency is so important and why that fight against violence against women, for example, is so important. I think what's more important, I think, for men in particular um, and in my transition is how men can become more in touch with their feminine side. And I think, you know, there's so much things around negative masculinities, um, you know, and and I think... Um, the burden, particularly when I think about race and the, and, 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 and the burden partic- around black male masculinities. Um, because of course, when we look at the framing of, um, of violence in South Africa, it's, it's, it's always kind of steered and geared towards looking at the violence in relation to black men. Like when people think about, um, close your eyes and think about who, who do you think of as a criminal? Mm-hmm. Like, People may unlikely think of a white man as as that. I saw a picture yeah. on on Facebook a couple of days ago, which even shocked me, with with some two white guys that were. All oh, right. <laughs> Did you see those two <laughs> white guys that were arrested by like the mm-hmm. ADT or something in mm-hmm. that? And it was two white guys lying with their heads, and I was just like. How did they figure out that these guys were the Tsotsis? I really, that was my big thing. How did they get that? I would never have thought those guys mm -hmm. are Tsotsis. And it shocked me Mm -hmm. to think that I have that prejudice. Right, right, right. As well. Completely. And I think that's the issue around, um, you know, what are are parents really teaching their sons? Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and how are men constructing their own identities um, in relation to masculinities. Because I think there's a lot of positive masculinities that can be embodied. I mean, why do we praise men who carry their babies? I don't get that. You know, that should be an extension of fatherhood. But because it's such an invisible uh, visual thing that we see in society, like when a man carries a child, people applaud that man because it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, how cute. How cute, right? <laughs> and of course, this, of course, women have to do this, you know, and, and et cetera. And that's how society constructs, um, all these stereotypes around female, male, and, 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 and gender stereotyping. So I feel like in my transition, I'm a little bit caught up in, 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 in kind of thinking through a lot of these things. But of course, also sh- socializing. Um, I mean, I, I remember my first experience going to the men's bathroom, you know, men are disgusting, by the way, in the bathroom <laughs> and, they, I, and, they, <laughs> and they're not very hygienic. I often go to men's bathrooms because they have less cues. Yes, exactly. I often go to men's bathrooms and, and pretend like You're right. <laughs> just quickly walk into because there's no cues in the men's bathroom. <laughs> um so how was that? Mm-hmm. Did you were you just like this is disgusting? I want to go back to the girls. I know, right? It smells great. Like you know, people smile at you. It's like a different experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I I just think that um, there's so many things that one just has to like overcome, and then there are things that you just have to question. And so think is about. the process? Mm-hmm. You say that the process has been two years for you. Is the process designed? to be a long process to allow you the opportunity to to go through all of those things because that's how it, it, this is going to sound so like tacky but when i when i was pregnant mm-hmm. and had my son at the end of it i understood why it takes such a long time even though i still feel like it doesn't take long enough because i was still unprepared <laughs> right. but because of all of that time of kind of 
internalizing it, digesting it, the discomfort, the, the change being slow. Is it designed that way or was that just your particular experience? You know, I wish that I was born in this generation, actually, to be honest, like the, the generation of social media, the generation of um, DSTV and, you know, where my nieces and my nephews understand what transgender is. Um, and, you know, when I grew up, there was just no language um, particularly for females who were transitioning um, to male. Um, there was a lot more language around male to female transitions. Again with the male privilege. Right, exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> Guys just get it easy all the time. Right. And so there was so much more visibility, in, I guess, or, or information around um, a male to female transition and um, kind of access around that. And I, and I really think... Um, that probably hindered me or prevented me um, from thinking through a transition much earlier. So, really, n- yeah, I, 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 um, I think that um, probably finding language, finding a supportive environment is like you know when that light bulb moment is like, oh, this is actually who I am. This is actually what, you know, there's a whole lot of things that begin to kind of the puzzle starts fitting together in relation to so many challenges that I've had in my life. And and just, you know, um, around my body, around issues, around my identity and so on. But just not really finding that language, not really finding that community and... I think now society and, and, and access is so much more easier. Um, and, and I see that, and I see that in younger, um, uh, children, youth who are in their transition. And I, I just think like, Oh, I wish I was that, but I don't regret my life experience. It's, it's just that there's so many things that hinders one in so many, so many ways. And also, you know, your own sense of self prejudice, your own sense of like, you know, I, I, when I came out, um, at 22 to my family, I came out as lesbian. And, um, and that was already hard because, you know, I grew up in a, a very, um, traditional Catholic, uh, family, you know. I'm and, a Catholic girl, um, <laughs> I get that. You know, completely Judgment. conservative. <laughs> exactly, you know. Judgment is just par for the course. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and so. And self-deprivation, think lens. Right. <laughs> and, and I remember my first information about, I guess, same-sex love or, or sexual orientation issues was actually going to the university library to read about Sexual orientation There was nobody to talk to In a little city like Port Elizabeth um, To say well This is kind of how I'm feeling And I don't know what this is about And who can I talk to You know um, And 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 so I think The journey has not been easy Especially for people in my generation And older um, Yeah So that that is Finding the language I think because one of the things that your organization does is documenting, particularly in vernaculars, the life experience of transgender uh, individuals. And that for me was also very fascinating because I think about it and I think, sure, there's, there's more than just the issue of self-identity. There's also the issue of identifying yourself to people around you. So when you come out, when you come out and say to your family, I'm lesbian or I'm gay, or I, I don't feel, I don't feel that my body, um, accurately, you know, is been assigned accurately. Right words, ne? I'm so, mm-hmm. co- after I spoke to you <laughs> yesterday and the fact that you were just like, language girl, I'm so conscious <laughs> now if I'm saying the right things. I've been like reading up. But then I thought, imagine all of those, all of those children in rural areas, in the township who are discovering this about themselves, who are discovering their sexuality and then having to say to their grandmother, this is how I feel. This is who I am. And so the power for me in documenting in the vernaculars in particular has been 
so immense. Have you found that the people that have come and joined your organization or the the programs that you are running feel the same way about the vernacular expression of their experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the immense challenges for our families is often just that real lack of information. Um, I mean, I think when people decide to become parents, there should be like a crash course on values Girl. and information and human rights and, and different things about diversity because your children may not be <laughs> who you are, okay? And like maybe you look identical or there's a genetic makeup of some sorts, but, you know, what we what we um, notice a lot, and I think even with my own self, was always that element of fear of coming out. And that also prolongs so many things around one's own self-happiness, etc., because you always fear that rejection. And in many cases, with the um, kinds of cases that we deal with, um, that is a very real reality for so many kids who, you know, we have one case at the moment of a brilliant young transgender guy whose mother has just disowned him, and he's homeless and had to stop studying and... um You know, just so many people who, you know, there's been cases of families even trying to poison their kids, you know, like we'd rather like have you dead than have you alive because this brings shame. It brings um, and, you know, like this is not again, you know, in terms of culture and practice and so forth. And so we find a lot of situations within the families where um, families are suddenly confronted with new challenges and actually exciting challenges, I think, because, you know, not everybody's the same in one's family. You know, there's the crazy and there's the happy one and then there's the the drama one, the alcoholic and the gossip (laughs) one and, you know, and then there's the transgender one or the gay one or the lesbian one, etc. And also in our families, we have, you know, relatives with disabilities, not everybody's an ableist, etc., you know. So the diversity in our families um, should be embodied. And and I think um, often the first point of call when families don't know what to do or understand what this is about is about rejection. It's about really harming someone that may not have the ability to find another home or to find a sense of a new sense of livelihood. Um, and this is a, a real challenge, you know. I mean, I think... Um, for my family, I think it's they've been amazing and, and they've really worked through so many things um, from my coming out to now. And I don't think it's always easy. I don't think it's always, you know, um, they don't under- understand everything necessarily. But I don't understand everything about their lives either. How and, did you, you do know, that with your family? Okay, well, I had How, two coming what outs. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a practice coming out. Yes, they had, they the, had warm the real up. one. <laughs> and they had so, 20 years in between. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so they've had like a good um a good two rounds. No, but really, if you think about your experience, mm-hmm. what do you think you did correctly with your family that that people could learn from? Okay, well, you know, so I, I, my family, let me just, a short history about my family is that they don't talk about anything historical. So if there's like some child that was born out of marriage, there's no conversation around these things. Right? Like all so, black families. So I don't even know why I have this Portuguese surname, for example, right? <laughs> like, but isn't that typical of black families though? Exactly. You just need to find that one aunt that's willing to have the gossip. So... <laughs> Exactly. So there's this kind of thing that we say sometimes, which may not always be correct that, you know, like, why should I come out to my family? Because don't like, we don't talk about these things or like they can see, you know, I'm obvious. (laughs) They can see me (laughs) most, you know, (laughs) but, um, but for me, that was a uh, coming out was a real important issue because, because I'd been raised in, a family of secrecies, you know, where I can't explain anything about my background, my gene- genealogy, like, you know. 
And so I think when I was around about 22, I read this book called Coming Out. And so I thought, oh, great. Like, you know, just like I found this book called What a Lesbian Looks Like. So I thought, clearly I won't be in this book, you know. But it was just like a book of stories of different diverse um, women who identified as lesbian. And so one of them, you know, et cetera, could have been me. And so the Coming Out book was very much a, a helpful book. So... What I did was I took one of the <laughs> the tips out of this book, and I maybe it was the cowardice tip, but I decided to write like this open family letter of disclosure, you know. <laughs> it was like so. It was like read and pass it along. You did know? you write one letter or lots of letters? No, and one. then give everybody read did, and pass it along. Yeah, ha, 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 yeah. Ha, ha. <laughs> so, And who did you give it to first? Well, I thought <laughs> I, chuckle, like, ne? I, I, you know, I gave it to my older sister because I thought she's like progressive. Apparently, she fainted in the workplace, no. and she didn't deal with it. And then she didn't talk to me for two years. So it was no, like quite really? a hard thing. Yeah, it was. There were some really difficult moments, and then I endured like um, daily uh, night laying of hands on me and prayers. Oh no, man! Um, that's you sweet know, though. <laughs> you know, that's, it was like that's a lot sweet, of blessings, though. you know. <laughs> uh, but I think over time, you know, my family just yeah, I think just with conversations and talking and understanding, um, you know, there was a lot of embodying of issues, and then I think. In uh, 2014 when I decided Okay well Now it's time for the next part of my coming out You know <laughs> um, But I think by that time They had kind of like They had already known before I knew Because I changed my birth name So my dead name I don't use it anymore And so What's that your dead name? My dead name So that my birth That's a name a morbid I know it's, it's like dead and buried And like even Home Affairs deleted it It's like formatted Well done to so. you You've got Home Affairs to do something for you Yeah I mean especially when you discover your dead name means white breast It's sort of like delete, What? Delete, 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 right? White so, breast <laughs> uh, Yeah I mean just the ironies of, of colored families Giving their children British and Welsh names Was really really weird So I then Um you know decided I'm changing my name Like this is one of my processes And so I think when I changed my name My, my family already were, Was already like Oh this, this there's something different happening here And so on And how did the sister who fainted <laughs> Then take the second coming out Actually amazingly uh, Well um <laughs> She she had 20 years of practice um, But I think She did really, really well Because um, You know, she did one interview Around families and LGB Families with LGBTI relatives and so on And in that interview It, it was way before I even transitioned um, She had said She was very disappointed because I didn't tell Anybody that I was now a boy And I was very upset by this interview Because I was like, I'm not a boy I didn't come out, you know, but she was already like way, she was leaps ahead of me. And that was amazing. And I think so, I think my name change in one respects was one level of preparation, you know, and then it was like, okay, um, the next steps was like easier, you know, um, so, so they've been great. And I mean, you know, of course, there's all these amazing TV shows now, which are TV shows. things and negative and positive. Okay. Know. Let's have it let's out. Let's not talk about let's, Caitlyn Jenner. Let's now. have it out. Because, <laughs> so I don't watch the Kardashians, right? Oh, so God. I then didn't know what the, I, and I'm too young to have known who Bruce Jenner was, mm -hmm. right? So I missed that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this Caitlyn Jenner and like mm -hmm. Vanity Fair and everybody's talking about it. And I'm going, what's going on? So I had to watch when I'm Kate came mm -hmm. out. I had right. to watch it. Mm -hmm. And I watched episode one and I watched episode two. And then I couldn't handle <laughs> going forward because I'm not that girl. I'm, I'm really not that girl. That's like, but I was so deeply fascinated by Caitlyn Jenner. And the story about Caitlin. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, being in media myself, so fascinated by how easily she held the public conversation 
around mm-hmm. it. All right. So now I want to know from the other side of the chair. I told you I'm a couch bitch, right? <laughs> so when you're sitting on your couch, Caitlyn Jenner does what mm-hmm. in your mind for the world? Well, I mean, one of the interesting things about last year is that the most one of the top uh, in the top five trending words on Twitter was transgender. Really? Interesting, right? The whole year. Yeah. In, and, and if you look at the statistics of what were the most top trending things, and probably Caitlin was one of the people who may have brought that up in, you know, in, I mean, in the space of 24 hours, she had 1 million followers and she wasn't following anyone um, on Twitter. And so clearly she evoked something perhaps. And maybe that's the power of mainstream media, you know, Um and so, you know, equally, I also didn't kind of know who she was, and I don't follow sport, etc. Um, and it's complex, and it's a very American story, and it's a very uh, white narrative in terms of just, um, you know, a positive side of how people with privilege and money um, can positively transition in different ways. And it doesn't matter if you're politically stupid like her, you know, I think... Um, you know, she, she really embodies so many other things around transition and, and, and access to, to medical health care, access to, you know, the, the extent of her wealth, etc. Um, and so I think there's, there's complexities in those media stories. Um, there's complexities in media stories where you'll find articles like, 12 transgender men you wouldn't think are trans, you know, because they all look like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they're all like immensely hot and they all like, Mm. you know, um, they belong on like all these um, health men magazines and, you know, they have, they're gorgeous, right? Um, And so again, we play into like normative stereotypes about, you know, this whole notion of what this word, which is called passing, um, how transgender people should pass, in other words, um, where people don't really notice whether you are transgender because you fit into a male society or, in, or into a female society. And so <clears throat> that really skews the realities of trans people because for the majority, for example, in our country, um, of transgender people don't have access to medical health care. And there are only two places right? in the whole country that, right. that actually w- will perform... The, the change. Right. So in relation to, to surgeries, um, um, gen, what we call gender affirming surgeries, um, the waiting list, um, on, on, on those, um, and in Khrutaskir and the Steve Biko academic hospital, you can wait between 10 to 25 years for your surgery. What? Yes. Why? Because that's that many people on the list or because that's just... Because the hospital... There's only one person every six months doing... Well, exactly. No, the hospital has a peculiar policy, I think, around um, how many surgeries they can perform per year. And normally it's one or two. And so and there's no real clear reason around that. And again, these are for people who don't have access to to um, medical health care or, or money. Because this is government. So these are the government services, institutions. right? Institutions. Exactly, exactly. And then I think there's a lot of issues around the fact that um, transgender health is still so deeply pathologized. So, for example, you do need to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist to prove that you really need to transition. And so in the International Classification of Diseases, Transgender health is still listed to be a gendered identity disorder. Just, you know, in 1990, homosexuality was just removed from the list of international classification of diseases. Homosexuality was classified as a mental disorder. And so, I mean, really, wow. we it's insane, you know. I mean, this whole kind of thinking about these classifications. And so to transition really is a challenge because it's about um, who has access to... To, to a psychologist who can pay for this, you know, paying for your hormones, etc. Because um, the cost yeah. is immense. Right, right. The cost is immense. I can imagine what the cost of over two years transitioning right. has been for you. Right. 
So there are trans people who who um, identify as transgender who don't opt for surgeries. Um, some may opt for um, just to take hormones, etc. Um, and some may just opt to take none of the others. Um, so often, you know, when we talk about transgender people, people immediately think about, um, you know, did, are you having your top surgery, which is, you know, your gender. What does that mean? Top surgery for trans men means um, your chest surgery. Um, or people want to know whether you had your bottom surgery. <laughs> you know, like, are you going to have like a penis now, etc. So people really... Tend to like um, fetishize or think about transgender people's bodies in relation to surgeries only, and not in relation to anything else that that pertains to a socialization of an identity. Speaking of socialization of identity and and what fetishize? I can't even say that word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To make fetish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jeez. Top five, and we spoke a little bit about this when we were getting ready for the show. Your top five most mm-hmm. inappropriate questions that people ask. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, um, that many. <laughs> uh, okay, I think um, start from number five. Okay, well, uh, the first questions are always about what surgeries did you have. Okay. Um, so, so people are interested in, in right, bodies. In bodies. Okay. And so don't ask people, don't ask transgender people about surgeries. Um, what was your name before? Don't ask transgender people about their dead names. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so you were a lesbian and, uh, are you heterosexual now? Okay. Transgender people can love who they like and sexual orientation is completely different from your gender identity. Um, sexual orientation can be transgender people can love all forms of bodies they desire. It could be transgender people, it could be heterosexual people, it could be gay people, etc. So, th- so that's the other question. Um, when does your transition end? <laughs> it's called transition. <laughs> it's a verb. <laughs> it's active. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I think some of those, you know, um, kind of, uh, those, those are the first ones that come to mind or, or, um, or. What's the worst yeah. thing you've ever been asked? The one that you then had to walk away from. You had to actually go, I, I'm unable to can. I must say. <laughs> I'm leaving you here. It's always the, like, it's the surgeries one, you know, because it's like. I, I just find that so strange. It's like, you know. Invasive. Um, it's pretty invasive. Um, and I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm happy. I mean, I'm not, I don't have issues with my body. I'm happy to show people whatever they like. No! But <laughs> no. it's like rather like take me on a date and I'll show you my body. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I think that's way more like sexy than like. You know, like, are you going to grow a so penis? Are you those, Some, are you oh, that's guys? what happened. I went on a date and this woman asked me if I'm going to grow a penis. And I said, yeah, I water it every day, twice a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think those are, those are a little bit of, of like obsessive questions that people like ask and stuff like that, you know. Right. I guess she didn't make it to see. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Wow. So, last question about Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> sure. Because, <laughs> last one, I promise. Okay. <laughs> do you think Caitlyn Jenner is for real? Or do you think it's a money-making? She just couldn't handle not being part of the Kardashian crew. <laughs> <laughs> she, this is, I've been thinking about this obsessively. Because, because I didn't know the story behind Bruce. And then when I watched the episode where Caitlin met her mom for the first time, I was astounded mm-hmm. by that at the level and, and how they described it is the level of deceit in terms of hiding Caitlin to the world, she said. And I wondered and I thought, Oh, this is your mom. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, 
how much like hiding of yourself can you do with your mom? So then, it, mm. it, then the conspiracy theories came. <laughs> then the conspiracy theories came. <laughs> okay, um, I think Caitlyn Jenner is a transgender woman. Um, I think her struggles um, and her her lifelong struggles around her identity, even through her marriage, um, and and reading a bit about her background, um, you know, I think it would have been probably safer for her in many respects to have just remained in the kind of cis male role stardom kind of thing and I think I think to finally come out in that, that way cis, say that again cis, cis, what so, so cisgender means um, it's, it's, it's a better word than saying transgender and normal people like <laughs> you know so because <laughs> we'd like to know that transgender people are normal people um so cisgender means same as, which means um, you are born as female and you identify and live your life as female. Mm-hmm. That is cisgender. Okay. And so we talk about cisgender people and transgender people. Um, I think she gave up probably quite extensive amounts of privilege um, as as in her male life and so forth. And I think being a parent in itself um, could not have been easy um, to come out. I think... I think there's no amount of um, safety um, that is guaranteed when you come out as transgender um, to anybody. Um, there's an immense amount of risk in so many respects, um, losing family, losing contracts, losing so many things you know, within your life. Um, I think she is probably... One of the luckiest transgender women in the world ever, um, ever. Um, you know, who can spend $150,000 on her surgery and her feminization surgery, etc. Um, who can have a show and then get a crash course by amazing trans feminists who t- are teaching her how to be a feminist live on her show. Um, That's a bit weird. Which is, is really strange. <laughs> so I think, she, I think, you know, I think her journey is interesting, um, etc. But I, I definitely think she's getting tons of backlash from the transgender community, particularly the black, Af- black African-American transgender community um, in relation to her political comments and, you know, and the crazy the girls she hangs that around she's like with, supporting Trump and 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 Ted Cruz, and you know, and and, and, and the that fact that she's a Republican, she hangs around with. right, right, exactly, <laughs> and and you know the fact that she's a Republican, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the U.S. context, you know, um, there's 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 a lot of issues around around her, <clears throat> and she definitely don't re- she does not represent. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of issues that we as trans people face. Um, I mean, if we look at um, in South Africa, you can change your gender marker. Home affairs is pathetic around it, and they take a really long time. But you can change your gender marker. We're the only country in Africa that uh, trans people can change their gender markers on their passports, their identity documents. Um, we're one of the few countries: um, South Africa, Kenya, and possibly Zambia. Is where trans people can access uh, hormones. Pri- I mean, in those countries, it's privately. In South Africa, you, there's some hospitals where you can access hormones public, uh, through public hospitals, like Baragwanath Hospital, etc. Now, the struggles are real here. <laughs> we don't live in, um, you know, wherever she's staying and, you know, kind of flying little helicopters and doing those kind of things. Yeah, the struggle is real where somebody's going to the taxi rank and will be attacked uh, for their gender identity um, and their gender expression. Um, and there's so many trans people um, in the region where you just can't travel because now your passport does not look like you look and you can't open a bank account. Um, you know, your driver's license doesn't look like you any longer, etc. And I don't know if you remember, but just about two years ago, um, a transgender woman in South Africa, Nadia Swanepoel, went on a six-day hunger strike because she had been, um, um, you know, she's a land surveyor, but 
since the transition could not even find a job um, because Home Affairs had delayed um, changing her gender marker on her documents. Um, she was then forced into um, sex work um, to, for a livelihood. Um, when she had tried to travel, she had faced uh, several deportations and imprisonment in Ireland, in Thailand, etc. So I don't think that our government really begins to understand um, kind of the complexities and the urgencies around changing gender markers. Um, and w- just how that slow process is delaying. So many trans people could not even register to for the elections. So on a very basic level as citizens, we become non-citizens where we can't vote. Um, we can't, we, you know, open bank accounts. Applying for jobs is complicated. Things like that. And um, so I think, I think for us here, there's just a whole lot more... Um, that we need to change in terms of laws and policies. Um, schools are not equipped to understand um, children who transition at school. The the whole complexities about around all gender bathrooms. Um, why do we still have gender segregated bathrooms? I don't know. We all do exactly the same things in bathrooms. Except so, we had this conversation. No one wants to share bathrooms with hygiene, guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to share bathrooms with guys. Jabu, right. this is. Immensely eye-opening because, as you say, the the conversation is skewed on so many levels. And just having this conversation with you, I feel like we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what is out there to be talked mm-hmm. about. And I'm deeply grateful that you took the time to come and have this conversation with me because I really do think that only in having the conversations are we able, which is why, you know, lover or hater, Caitlin actually has, has broken mm-hmm. the mold right. and allowed us to, to talk more openly about it. And I am, I'm very proud of you. I Thank don't even you. know you and I'm proud <laughs> of you. I was just like, this. <laughs> I don't even know you and I'm so proud. I'm just like, ah, Africans are amazing. Right. So thank you very much for coming through. I am going to put the link that says iranti.org okay. uh, for people to, but I'm going to please come back again and chat with us. It was awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. So much. I did find, um, just as a goodbye, I did find a song for you by Sam Smith, but I've never heard it before. So I'm just oh, going to play it anyway. Fantastic. <laughs> and thank I you. hope you love it. And thank you so much for taking the time to t- chat with us. I'm Pumi Machuko. I've been chatting with the founder of iranti.org, Jabu Pereira, <laughs> <laughs> who is a transgender activist as he likes to be called this is cliffcentral.com